Mobile crematoriums. What? Where? Here? Over there. <clears throat> Gosh. Uh, You're talking about the Holocaust. No, talking about no. Ukraine. But same oh. thing, right? Yeah. Uh, Zelensky was um, <clears throat> uh, in his round, which is something I want to talk about, actually, his round of uh, visits to um, pretty much everybody who listened, being faded in um, parliaments across the, the free world. Um, he, when he went to Israel, he kind of made that reference, basically, it's kind of like the Holocaust here, you know, more or less, what's mm. going on, and it wasn't well received. No. But, you know, who cares? Uh, yeah, it's, it's creepy. Uh, he was in, during the week there, he was in Ireland, you know. and uh, In Ireland, he did a Zoom chat. Yeah, well, he wasn't in Ireland, but he, he was in front of the Irish Parliament, which is, you know, uh, doing one more of his speeches. He's done them in the yeah, US, UK, yeah. Uh, <coughs> I, don't he's, I don't know if he's done one in France or uh, Spain. I think he t- talked to the Spanish people. Germany, France, anyway, for sure. Canada, every, US. Yeah. And uh, there's something creepy about it, about this little twerp. Um, I know he's a hero and all that, but I, he's a bit of a twerp to me. Um, like, lecturing. Mm. The, he, he tweaks each one, depending on the audience. Yeah, yeah, and he lectures the elected officials of the people of that country and shames them if they haven't, um, you know, gives them a, a score, you know. Ireland, you have been okay. Not as good as you can be, but it should be better. And he goes to the next one. England, very good. Good marks. Always has been. Seven, eight out of ten. Love you guys. Super. Spain. Great, great weapons, thanks. We'll work it out. You know, not the best, but you're doing better. You know, and it's like, why do these people, you know, uh, sublimate themselves in that I way? I know, to, it's not. Did you see the one in um, Denmark where uh-huh. he goes, very good, very good. Now, what I suggest you do, and they're all like looking up. It, they're actually standing. They're in a standing room and it's up on a screen up high. Yeah. You know. What I suggest you do is you continue to divest completely from Russian oil. After all... It would be good for the planet. And the faces in there were like, oh, yes. We haven't heard that before. Cut off all Russian energy and the planet becomes greener. Yeah. A lighter place with unicorns and and rainbows and pink fluffy bunny rabbits. I mean, were they acting? I don't know. But they looked genuinely, wow. Yeah. Well, actually, he's 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 on song with a lot of other people. I mean, that's been... A thing, you know, it's weird. It's weird the way they've kind of dovetailed that, to, uh, or they've, they've used the Ukraine situation to further their uh, push towards depriving uh, people of the world, effectively, of the resources to survive uh, comfortably or even minimally. Because um, it's, it's obviously we know that's been going on for quite quite some time, pushing that. But um, I mean, yeah. they've, they've just segued straight into Ukraine and, and Ukraine the the. the, the Greening of the economy and the, the you know, destruction or cancelling of uh, fossil fuels is piggybacked on Ukraine. If you just throw up the, the Guardian um, <coughs> game, <coughs> game.jpg, sorry, uh, it's, it's from the Guardian from uh, a few days ago. Uh, that title, ban European flights and car use in cities to hurt Putin. Strong measures by Europe could quickly deprive Russia of oil and gas income worth billions, experts say. Who are these experts? I don't know. But experts say so. Uh, so it's like, you know, I take know. on the team. And, uh, you know, whenever you have to, you know, walk to your job or when you, whenever you, um, 
Well, one of, your, one of your freezing and all that kind of stuff, like there's, someone said that actually, someone, I don't know who it was, but some social media influencer uh, suggests that when people are taking cold showers, when they are, not cold showers, maybe cold showers, but shorter showers at least, um, to save energy, you know, um, they should, when they turn off the shower after only a few minutes of showering, you should say, take that Putin. Are you, ta- I noticed you're talking about that video, the woman with the short hair, mm. she's not Is an she? influencer, she's the European Oh, yeah. Minister, right. in quotes, the different title, secretary for competition, mm. business competition and the environment or something like that. She certainly influenced me. She's one of the top people in the European Commission. I think that she's completely mental. And that, that, um, that all began in Brussels. 2016, 2015, they began pioneering um, in Brussels. You could not drive in in your car. Mm. city was close to cars. Why? Well, we'll just do it one day a week. Mm-hmm. The Queen, the planet. So this is like years, and there's multiple things folding into one, you know. Yeah. All these narratives. And it's weird. Well, yeah, it's weird how a, a war situation suddenly piggybacks on, on, on that, you know, or, or that piggybacks on a war situation. Just, just dovetails perfectly with it, you know. Crisis. <sighs> crisis is very useful for pushing agendas. I know, but how, you can actually combine the two in this, in this certain crisis, you know what I mean? This crisis is, is intricately linked with that other crisis of uh, global warming, man-made global warming. <clears throat> Because Europe relies too much on, has to get, needs to get rid of fossil fuels and unfortunately relies a lot on Russian fossil fuels and Russia is evil, therefore we have all the more reason now to get rid of fossil fuels because not only are fossil fuels evil in themselves, but the place they come from is evil. The person that gives us to them is evil. Yeah. So we have <clears throat> two moral reasons, one to save the planet and the other one to save humanity. It's not just toxic oil, it's toxic Save your soul. Oil. Huh? If Putin is the embodiment of toxic masculinity, it's toxic masculine oil. Toxic masculine oil. Yeah, so one is to save the planet and the other one is to save your soul. Yeah. Yeah. It's got the spiritual dimension. Yeah. The kind of... It it has religious fervor to it. It's it's always going to be total in its um, narrative telling. You know, like your man Schwab says, if we need a great narrative... For, the, for selling is a great reset, you know. Yes, so it's, it's it would have to story. be. It would have to be multi-level, philosophical in nature. Ideally, they would try and get it, you know, on a eschatological religion. A very story. good story for the children. Yeah. To believe, we need to come up with a good story that makes them feel a lot of things, bad things and good things. And this way, we will get them to do what we want. <laughs> Where is my cat? And why did I never get into a James Bond movie? Uh, it's a joke, like, yeah, that's, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. Skepticism, we talked about it before. Where's the skepticism, you know? How people lost. Did, did, did the vaccines, here's my conspiracy theory. Oh, today. Jesus. Did the vaccines remove people's skepticism? Was it an anti-skepticism? Vaccine. mRNA vaccine. Whoa, dude, that's deep. Dude. <laughs> Careful now, we're on the YouTube. Well, maybe job. they never had it, but I don't know. No, I'm just, I'm just drawn. Maybe it was always there. Maybe people weren't very skeptical. Ah, but I just see a lot of a lack, long. But I see a lack of skepticism, an extreme lack of skepticism. Yeah, amongst average people who have the ability as human beings to be skeptical, but they've lost it. Why? I don't know. It's crazy. It's just straight up. You know, someone tells you a line of bullshit, a, a fishy story, and you swallow it hook, line, and sinker. I have hope. I'm, a, I'm an optimist. I think before the end, most people will realize 
before the end, like at the, just just a minute before the end, or yeah. something, like a couple of seconds before the end. Yeah, too late. But <laughs> yeah, they yeah. realise it. That's yeah. well, that's hope. that's uh, as they're freezing or hungry. Yeah, that's that's what it'll take. Yeah, yeah. but but real suffering not, begets real. But when they're freezing and hungry, they don't have a lot of time to think about uh, how did this all happen, right? True, but a lot of dross falls away. You really do start, and you start locally. I think you start to see locally who's an asshole and who's actually all right. Mm. And it sorts itself out from there because you can start to repair. It's like you've said it many times when you've tried to explain to people. You know what it's like on your street and there's one guy who's just a complete dick, right? Mm. Why can't you understand that there are people in power who are also like that? Some mm. of them, not all of them necessarily. Not you know, much. explain. You know from your own life experiences that you can extrapolate it outwards, you know. And they will. They'll, they'll recalibrate, but very late. Um, you're yeah. talking about virtual, but there's been a heck of a lot of diplomatic flurries maneuvering um, in real in the real world, right? He that did take place in Kiev, where the European Union head honchos went to Kiev proper, right? This week, yeah, them and uh, Ursula von der Leyen. Ur- Ursula yeah. been 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 lying a lot. Um, she went there, had a good time with, um, went directly to the heart of the war zone. Kiev is under threat of immediate, immediate bombardment. Right. So they all had a walk around the city. And also Boris Johnson there. The unannounced. The uh, I think it's huh. a Ukraine, um, Ukraine status, Scotty, is the Twitter handle. Um, Ukraine status, yeah. It's the fourth one I sent you. Uh, here's, we'll just, we'll just have a watch of uh, Boris. Um, an impromptu visit. Didn't tell anybody, only very few people knew. Uh, and here he goes. Because they bloody can. <laughs> right in the heart of the war zone. The streets are very clean. Not cleaner than uh, Paris. <laughs> Waving to the locals. <laughs> Might kiss a baby or two. How are you doing? Dobry day. How's it going? Anybody want, anybody want a, a man pad? Oh, really? Oh, really? Where's the wall? Where's the, you know, the Bellum wall? Iron curtain. Yep. Very dangerous place. Any Russians here? Any Russians? Clean, clear the streets. Caption because they bloody can. Yeah, yeah they can because they know it's perfectly safe. Keep looking for cream teas, a cup of tea, and a, and a cream bun. That's uh, I think that's the, the, the Maidan uh, memorial. Those people were shot by. To those shot dead by um, mystery snipers, huh? Я купила для друзей из Польши вот таких петушков, они были на бородянке на шкафчике стояли, вот такие вот ждали, да. Я хотела бы их подарить. Couple of cocks for a couple of cocks. Actually, in Russia, for wine or for water? No, it's for you. For two cockerels. 
So, yeah, that's interesting. Ten days after the Russians pulled back, after which about five days the Western media was yammering on about, no, 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 they haven't. Don't trust the Russians. They're yeah. not pulling back. They're still around Kiev. They're still around Kiev. And now look. Yeah. So what do they believe? Their own bullshit or something else? You know, I mean, these people are just... <laughs> on, on that point, right, he goes the day after von der Leyen. Von der Leyen goes and she uh, is taken to... The site in Bucha. Yep. She was a terrible Butcher. atrocity yep. happened. I won't play the video because I think most people have seen her her shock as she's shown something. Oh. Oh. Some body bags probably. Oh, body bags with maybe probably. nothing in them, you know. Um, so staged, probably there was nothing in them. She went and she handed him Zelensky or Elensky. We're not allowed to use the Z anymore in Ukraine. Elensky a portfolio with, you know, the EU flag and the Ukrainian mm-hmm. flag on the cover and says to him that this is a questionnaire which you must fill out in order to be granted, in order for Ukraine to be granted EU candidate status. Yeah, to start the process. And she promised this process will take weeks. Rather than months, yeah. Not years. She also confirmed it's definitely going to happen. The plan continues, everybody. Listen to what she has to say here. Quote, Russia will descend into economic, financial, and technological decay while Ukraine is marching towards the European future. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, she, has she, to say she that. knows it's not happening. Right? Yeah. She's not that stupid. Mm-hmm. In weeks' time, all part of Ukraine, whatever of Ukraine, is going to be a European Union member yeah, state. The most productive part, yeah. No, the most productive part in, in, in a few months' time, the most productive part of Ukraine will be part of Russia. The east and south? Yeah. You think? The, the east, That's from, far from the like middle it. over. Uh, so there won't be much of Ukraine to actually incorporate into the EU, and certainly if its numbers don't stack up, they're not going to be admitted. You know, so, um, it's, but it's just, that's just part of the propaganda uh, to, to try and G people up and to try and... Try and create a, a bond, a, a sense, a, a feeling of bond, bondship and of, 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 of commonality between European peoples and European politicians and stuff and, and Ukraine. It's just, it's part of the... It's this would be, yeah. It's part of the ongoing process, yeah. Same process they've been doing, you know. Zelensky going around talking to everybody. He's one of us. We, people, nobody ever went to Ukraine. Nobody in Europe ever went to Ukraine. Like, very few, like, effectively, no people, you know, relative to the amount of people that could have gone. Basically, none went to Ukraine. Uh, over the past 20 years when Ukraine was just sitting there. And was because yeah. it was seen as Eastern and Russia. And well, hang on, not nobody. Well, John McCain and Lindsay's so Southern was, Gentleman Graham went was, in 2014. That was after our coup, yeah, when yeah. they had already... Just before it. Yeah, but, but in terms of the population and European populations and what they think of Ukraine and have thought of Ukraine over the past 20 years, uh, no interest in going there, no sense of uh, um, commonality or brotherhood or sisterhood or whatever between European people and Ukraine and... Now they're just they're trying to ramp that up and trying to, for obvious reasons. So uh, it's all a joke, yeah. Um, <clears throat> if you were a betting man, actually, I wonder. You know, people like um, 
who gamble, uh, let's say, on the stock markets, they take bets, you know. Mm-hmm. It could be a broker. It could be – I don't know. I don't know how you do this exactly. But they take bets to short a currency mm-hmm. and so on. Like how would you bet on this statement of hers? Russia will descend into economic decay while Ukraine is marching towards the European future. Mm-hmm. If you could short that, I mean no, – Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you could take a bet against that, yeah, you'd make a lot of money. Oh, in, man. In six months' time. Um. On a more serious point, I want to point out something. <clears throat> Boris was actually – we can laugh at him following the mm. European Union representatives. Like, don't forget us. We're kind of part of Europe, you know. Remember me. I, his his, his um, bartering was much more to the point, much more pointed, promising more guns, bombs, anti-ship missiles, et cetera, et cetera. Um, to the tune of I don't know how many millions this time. They, I don't even know if they're physically actually able to deliver on the goods. Um, I doubt it because Russians have made it very clear that they're prepared to shoot anything coming in. But um, on this, in speaking in general about especially the British tactic, but it wasn't only their strategy, of course, the Americans, the Germans, the French, of flooding Ukraine with weapons. Mm. Um. Okay, in years past, we now understand that was clearly to build up an army of resistance, in quotes, against Russia. But I mean in more recent past, like the last weeks and months, when they knew something was coming and they forced, they basically forced Russia's hand. I want to pull up this article. This is from late January, so it's a month before anything kicks off. Initials here, R-U-S-I, that's not Russian. That's the top British military think tank. This is like... um, What's the name? Clatham House for International Affairs in the UK. Mm, this is their military wing. <clears throat> Chatham House. Chatham House. That's it. Title of their uh, analysis, dated 21st of January. What do UK weapons deliveries add to UK's, Ukraine's armed forces? The bottom line is nothing. Mm-hmm. Strategically, this will accomplish nothing no. militarily. Yeah. Let's scroll down. I'll, read, I'll just read a part of it. <clears throat> Beginning with the delivery of armed vehicles, I think you need to go... Towards the end, um, up a little. Yeah, okay, so it's in these two paragraphs you see here. No. Back down? Back down at the end. In this sense. Here we go. Okay. I'll read it. I've taken bits uh, that are composite of these two paragraphs. In their conclusion, they conclude... The delivery of armored vehicles, short-range and anti-tank weapons and air defense systems can only be useful in one scenario. Their use will only be possible once all initiative has been lost and the situation is unlikely to be turning in Ukraine's favor. In short, the provision of short-range missiles, javelins, laws, whatever, does nothing to improve Ukraine's odds of deterring Russia or even defending against a Russian invasion once it has begun. Mm -hmm. Conclusion, it is unlikely that Ukraine could defeat Russian forces. They knew, we'll say duh, but we know that they know, that they knew ahead of this, and once it began, and for the last six bloody weeks, that there was never a hope in hell of a Ukrainian victory, Mm -hmm. militarily. No, of course not. They dumped the weapons in there. Of course, the RUSI, this think tank, isn't going to say what the... More, I'm going to speculate as to what the likely reason was. They were just doing due diligence, in fairness to them, providing objective analysis for the British government. You're putting weapons in. You're not adding value 
to Ukraine's military chances, mm-hmm. either of the deterring or once it started of stopping. Mm-hmm. And yet they're still flooding as many weapons as they can. Well, <clears throat> let's do one more, <clears throat> one more analysis. This one, um, we just made a, a focus on SOT, actually. It's brilliant. This guy is in no way an alternative looper. This guy is as mainstream as they come. He's a retired Swiss intelligence officer named Jacques Baud, B-A-U-D. This was first published on mm. some Swiss website, then the UNS Review uh, translated from French. Okay, um, it's a great long article, but the, the overview of it is that it explores the causes and progression of the war so far. It's superb. It shows the, mil- the military basis for what's going on the legal basis for what's been happening, and, of course, the strategy, which is what connects us to the previous story. Mm-hmm. He concludes that, um, if you scroll down to the end, I think I can find it. It's a long one, but it's very very much worth reading. Um, the EU is repeating the disaster. Scroll up a bit there. I think it's in that last scroll up a little more. Repeating. It begins, the EU is repeating the disastrous experience. There we go. The European Union is repeating the disastrous experience of the Third Reich in the final hours of the Battle of Berlin. We, the West, are pushing citizens to go and fight. And at the same time, Facebook authorizes calls for the murder of Russian soldiers and leaders. So much for the values that inspire us. And in this last paragraph just before the, the um, partition about the Mariupol Hospital, some intelligence services, Western ones, see this irresponsible decision to flood Ukraine with weapons as a way to use the Ukrainian population as cannon fodder to fight Putin's Russia. Well, we know it's not to fight. They know. We know that they know that it's not to fight Putin's Russia. Mm-hmm. They don't give a shit how many bodies pile up in Bucha in Kiev proper, in Mariupol, in Kharkov, in Kramatorsk, the more the merrier. Putin looks more evil. We mm-hmm. can spin it that way. Mm-hmm. Also, well, there's a big question of money. I mean, there's the whole, there's the old saying of war is a racket, right? It's just about, first and foremost, war is a, right. is a, a rationale or is a reason, an end in itself, uh, in the sense that have a war, it doesn't matter who you have it with or it doesn't have to have a reason for it. Uh, you get to make a lot of money from having a war, especially. So the question is, who's paying for all the weapons? that are being supplied to Ukraine? European taxpayers. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is the Germans have announced that they're basically all out of stock on a whole bunch of things, mm-hmm. and they're going to replenish their arsenal, which, of course, they're rebuilding their army completely, and they're going to be buying it all from the okay. Americans. Yeah. Although, I mean, it's not just the European taxpayer. Ultimately, they have an eye on, because that's not really making money. Sure, it's funneling taxpayer money into defense contractors, which is, yeah, it's good, that's thumbs up but uh, ultimately when you supply that kind of uh, that level of uh, give that le- level of help and support to Ukraine uh, there's there's payback you know ultimately and it's seen down the line and whatever is left of Ukraine Ukraine will be entirely open to Western uh, companies uh, and the state will be nationalized in fact Ukraine was doing that are trying to do that uh, over the past, since since really since 2014, Zelensky himself is on has, there's a video of him at some kind of 
some business meet or whatever, international business meet or something, where he's basically saying, listen, you know, uh, bring your money, you know, bring your money to Ukraine. I, but he was offering Ukrainian uh, infrastructure. All Ukrainian infrastructure is up for sale. Right. We, you know, we're privatized, the whole lot of it, everything, ports, railways, Shell gas, electricity, Burisma. infrastructure. Well, that's the basics, but all the, all the rest as well. All the infrastructure right. of the company, ports, railways, uh, electricity companies, gas company, whatever, everything is up for sale. Um, and of course, that's for Western companies come in, buy those companies and, uh, and then make profits from them, you know. So all th- that's, that's, there's an eye to that as well, obviously. You don't, you don't just give all the, these weapons, even if it's taxpayer money that's going to defense contractors in, in the West that are supplying those weapons, you still want more. Uh, you want the looting of certain countries. You don't want you want to make them uh, kind of client states in that respect that are uh, more or less owned by by European Western countries. So yeah, these people are t- entirely cynical. That's the way they've always worked. That's the way they see the world. That's the way they that's the way they operate in the world. And everything that is it's 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 sickening to see them at the same time as having that intention, that predatorial intention towards Ukraine and complete disregard for the population, it's sickening to see them and their media try to jerk the emotional, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, pull yeah. the emotional strings of the population to get them to feel like, oh, we're doing this for the poor Ukrainian people who are, who, who are being killed by Russians, when in fact we're supplying weapons that are prolonging this war and vastly increasing the number of civilian deaths. And in fact, as we'll talk about, Ukraine itself, the Ukrainian military itself, probably under direction of Western advisors, is engaged in actually killing uh, Ukrainian civilians in order to demonize, blame it on Russia and demonize Russia for it. So yeah. that was Bukha, as we talked about last week. And then this week there was uh, another event in Kramatorsk, which was uh, another uh, missile strike, this time on a, um, on a, at a railway station in a, in a town in Donbass, Called a town called uh, Kramatorsk. Um, it's, it's right on the contact line, the current one, just, isn't it? Yeah, but but it's it's not occupied by Ukrainian forces. Um, it's well, actually, we'll just yeah. Anyway, well, people know people know the, the situation. About something like thirty nine or forty people were killed, over a hundred injured, when a Tochka U missile, an older kind of ballistic missile, was landed. With, with a fragmentation warhead, i.e. before the missile lands, the warhead separates and it before it hits the ground, it detonates and spreads these basically little, you know, metal shrapnel basically that is it's designed for anti-personnel, anti, anti to kill human beings uh, rather than um, to attack, uh, you know, artillery or, or anything, uh, arm, anything armoured. Um, just go to mission, this is from the Russian mission in Geneva, um, uh, a tweet, and this is about basically just looking at the. Well, you can you can listen to it yourself. It's looking at the serial numbers of the of the missile that landed. We have just arrived in the center of Kramatorsk. While reporting on the, the way, tragedy in Kramatorsk on April eight, the British okay, reporter and will- no, it's okay. Willingly oh, gave away news. a crucial piece of the puzzle. Every missile has a unique marking, so once known, it's easy to pinpoint where it came from. Later that night, Italian reporters were able to get a better look at the Tochka U missile. Take a good look and remember the unique number. This is exactly the missile that killed people in Kramatorsk yesterday. There is no point denying it. 
This is a video shot in Alchevsk, Lugansk People's Republic, on February 2, 2015. You can find it on YouTube. The Ukrainian Tochka-U missile was intercepted that day and later documented. Now take a good look at its unique number. Now let's compare the two. Even their serial numbers are exactly the same. It's really a good thing that many Ukrainian Tochka and Tochka-U missiles fired on Donbass over the 80-year civil war have been documented. Now let's look oh. once again and compare the two missiles. They differ in only the last two digits, which leads to a conclusion that they were manufactured in the same batch. Isn't it time to ask the Ukrainian Defense Ministry once again, where exactly was yesterday's missile fired from? False flag. Yeah. Um, either some people have said that uh, well, written on the side of the missile was for the children or something along those lines. Um, that that the, the white, the white paint, white paint yeah. said it was for the children. <clears throat> um, it was fired, and, and the people have done various, you know, kind of looking at where it came from, where it likely came yeah. from. And it came from the east, from Ukrainian positions, into towards or came from, from west, west towards the east into uh, Kramat onto uh, to the Kramatorsk. Uh, train station um, 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 Kramatorsk is in Donbass although Donbass part of Donbass is still kind of contested if you just throw up the JPEG Donbass JPEG Scotty um, this is from Yanukovych 2010 election this is a guy that was ousted when the US backed coup 2014 this was the voting blue is for Yanukovych the other one for, was for his opponent at the time now that's that that blue area you know above pretty much in most cases above 50 percent or in a lot of cases above 60 and 70 percent uh, Kramatorsk is well into that blue area basically so you have that's it's a good representation that map of the division of Ukraine along pro-Russian versus yeah kind of Ukrainian um, um, I, political beliefs or, or, or attitudes or cultural beliefs or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, and notice how far it goes across, right into Odessa. Uh, so um, that's, that's the division of Ukraine and that's, that's pro-Russian. Blue is pro-Russian Ukraine. Um, and, and Kramatorsk is right <clears throat> in the Donbass region there, but center of, center of the, the country a little bit further in, so it was definitely a, it's a pro-Russian area. Uh, the Ukrainian military was not there, but was outside it uh, on the day that the missile fell. Uh, thousands of people had been in the, or were in the process of waiting for trains to leave uh, to go to Russia. So we're meant to believe that Russia fired a missile that it doesn't actually have in its inventory and has not used has in its inventory, but does not use because it was replaced by the Iskander missile in uh, by 2020. Uh, it was basically the the Tochka U missile was completely replaced by the Iskander missile, so Russia doesn't have it in its active inventory right now. Um, so we're meant to believe that Russia fired one of these missiles that it doesn't actually use and doesn't have at people who are pro-Russian who are attempting to board trains to go to Russia to leave the area that was that will soon be, um, you know. Uh, Dang in Russian dang hands. Dangerous. Well, yeah. soon be in Russian hands or soon be dangerous in the sense of there'll be fighting yeah. uh, in that area. Uh, and of course, it wasn't just people from, from Kramatorsk. It's people from outlying districts coming t to the closest train station in Kramatorsk to go to, to go to Russia. So uh, it's that kind of thing where they just put it up. And, and you mentioned earlier on that they put up that that happens. 
uh, it happened two days ago and it was up for two days at most and then it's gone. It was on. Uh, there's yeah, no continuing on and then, boom, dragging it out. Whatever. Yeah. Sure, it was put up there, headlines, evil Russians, Putin kills civilians, blah, blah, blah. But then it was gone because the nar- if you look at it, anybody who had to do any further reporting on it or to keep it going any longer would have to, you know, they would, well, they would find it difficult to ignore yeah. the evidence that their claim about who fired the missile is completely bogus. It was undoubtedly the Ukrainians uh, did it. Specifically to, as they have done in the past, in, in Mariupol and many different places, they attack civilians who, are, who want to leave cities uh, because they don't want them to go, and especially don't want them to go to Russia. So they try to prevent them by firing missiles at, 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 at uh, staging areas for people to leave or uh, at, at, the, uh, at the, the, what do you call them, the, the uh, evacuation uh, what's the term they use? Evacuation channels, or whatever. Um, the humanitarian use, corridors. The corridors. The corridors that they open up. They, they, when they can, they attack those corridors in order to scare people from going anywhere near them because they don't want them to leave. Because a big part of this, a big part of the Ukrainian strategy and all of this, in, in this war, basically, and in, in a big part of their thrust of their of their attempt to to defeat the Russians, apart from militarily, which they really can't do is to defeat them in the information war, the propaganda war, and that requires them to have as many civilian casualties as possible that they can lay at the doorstep of the Russians. People might not, might not want to believe that, and I know a lot of people uh, on Twitter and stuff you know, reject that idea out of hand, but it's extremely naive to reject it out of hand. That's exactly what's happening. That's what the information war actually is. You know, um, America has played that information war. The Brits have in any military conflict they've been in for, for a very long time. And it's, um, it's a mainstay of, of, of war and conflict is you know, the information war. And inf- it's, it's a nice term, information war, but what, what it actually means is lying. Lying about atrocities. Right. Often committed by your side. Right. Spinning them. Covering them up if they're committed by your side. And, but even better, if you can uh, blame your enemy for committing the atrocity that you ca- carried out, then all the better. So, and they have, they have good reason to be confident about doing that kind of thing because they have the entire Western media in their pocket, you know? Mm. And, that, and the Western media isn't just Western, it tends to be spread globally, you know, it tends to be picked up. It has up such and, reach, yeah. yeah. Here's another, another issue related, um, this one this week from German state media, DW Deutsche Welle about the so-called Russian attacks on hospitals. The headline, how Russia could get away with attacks on Ukraine hospitals. Since invading Ukraine, Russian armed forces have hit nearly 100 medical facilities. Attacks on healthcare infrastructure are classified as war crimes, but perpetrators have historically evaded justice. DW investigates, and the picture of the hospital they have is... Yes. Let me sure I pronounce this correctly. Hang on. Volkov, Volknov, Volnokava. Volnovaka. Volnovaka Hospital. Okay. So this is interesting. And they're going to give a spiel about how it was, the damage you see in the headline image there was caused by the Russians, okay? Um, I have a video published in Ukrainian media obviously not broadcast too widely, but nonetheless, it's a press statement given by 
the head of that hospital. Who was there throughout the entire process? Let's hear what he has to say about what happened at Volnakava Hospital. So, to be clear, when he says in that last statement, they mined the entrance to the intensive care units and there were soldiers in the ICU, that's the Ukrainian forces mined the ICU mm-hmm. and the soldiers inside the ICU recovering were Ukrainian soldiers. Mm-hmm. There's another additional statement that's included in the blurb of that YouTube video, not given by this man himself, but by a doctor, another doctor or nurse, I think, who worked there because it was a female eyewitness. She says that specifically clarifies, yes, the Ukrainians shot at their own soldiers recovering in ICU on their way out as Russian forces advanced and took the area. Mm-hmm. They could not leave any of their own so-called brothers in arms behind mm-hmm. to live to tell the tale of what happened at that hospital. Mm-hmm. But he's given enough clues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. First war crime, setting up grad positions and any other military, you cannot put your tanks on hospital grounds and mm-hmm. use it as a firing position. You're mm-hmm. obviously trying to draw fire, war crime. Second one, of course, is then the treatment of what took place there. Yeah. Um, Additionally, uh, it's also clarified by statements from people, not from him there, but um, no civilian patients were killed by Russians there. They were all evacuated before mm-hmm. actual firing took place mm-hmm. between Ukrainian and Russian forces. And yet Deutsche Welle, the German mainstream newspaper, just has the just says, banal this headline. Just simply a Russian atrocity. Yeah, yeah. 
it's yeah, it's. I mean, there's there's been a lot of in the whole fog of war business and, and wars that have gone on over the years. Um, it's always been difficult, and there's always been that kind of thing going on. But this one, it seems to be the information war and the disinformation and the lies and the just outright flagrant, barefaced ascribing of uh, you know atrocities or crimes or killings to Russia when it's obviously one little tiny bit of research or even even within the reporting there's evidence that it wasn't what the what the media are saying it's, it's just passed off as whatever we'll do it, we'll do it anyway we'll say it anyway yeah. uh, it, it's an ex, it's an extreme level of lying and and disinformation in this particular war and that's probably not to be or it is to be expected because of well the internet age and mass media and cell phones and Twitter and social media etc. So, but it's uh, also to do with the nature of the specific war. Yeah, you see, in the first few weeks, many, if not most, narrative skeptics say people who just come out of COVID going, "I'm not sure what to believe." In fact, I'm leaning towards not believing anything the officials say about the pandemic. Were bur- faced with a barrage of Ukraine, Ukraine, and they went, "Oh God." You know what? Fog of war. I don't believe any of what they're saying. All of them. Mm-hmm. Russians, Ukrainians, The Guardian, New York Times. Forget it. I hope by now some of them are starting to realize this is worth looking at. There's a fundamental difference between the two. Yes, fog of war and it's disinformation. But part of the reason it's so damn extreme is because what the two sides are doing are so different. Mm-hmm. Don't walk away from this and just throw up your hands. There really is a story here, and it speaks volumes about everything else in the world you want to understand. Ultimately, of course, being the nature of our dear leaders in the West, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Other, well, I mean, every day it's something different. Um, who knows what next week atrocity will be? Uh, the Russians have got to the point where they're like kind of predicting um, or at least giving heads up to next likely one. I think the Russian MOD on Thursday said, watch out for something in uh, – we have intelligence that something is being, being brewed in Irpen, mm-hmm. another city north of Kiev. Well, it's right beside Bucha. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Irpen's too close. Maybe it was, maybe it's thought somewhere else. Izium? Yeah. I think it could else. be anywhere to be honest. Like it's wherever they they choose, you know, um, and they'll keep doing that. They'll, I mean, if they can, they'll keep doing that for for as long as they feel it's it's useful to 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 demonize Russia. But of course, you reach a certain point where it's like it's done. You know what I mean? You've convinced everybody that's going to be convinced that Russia is an evil, or Putin is an evil war criminal, and Russian soldiers in Ukraine are evil war criminals. They're slaughtering civilians, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and people just shut off. Once okay, I've got the message. You don't need to keep telling me anymore. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So once they feel they've done their job, not respect, they probably won't do it anymore. But there may be an opportunity to do it again. Yeah, periodically. We spoke earlier, and you thought there might be method to the pattern of when to lie about it. Yeah, for sure. Like, well, it, well, it's the same thing they did in Syria. Like, I mean, you remember when the mm-hmm. uh, UN. Um, What's the UN group for chemical weapons? UN the OSC. Oh, no, that's the um, U- whatever the UN chemical weapons body, basically. ICW. Yeah, ICW. Like yeah. Um, in two thousand was two thousand sixteen uh, in in Syria uh, on the day that they were meant to go there to have a look to see 
uh, if there were any chemical weapons around, whatever. It had shades of Saddam Hussein and the mm-hmm. investigation into Saddam Hussein's weapons of mass destruction. Uh, the day that they arrived there, there was a chlorine chemical weapon attack in a, in a town in Syria that was later pretty much just proven as having been carried out, as they said at the time, by the by the Syrian government. It was, a, again, a kind of false flag uh, operation. So, yeah, was, what I was saying was that it, those kind of things tend to happen whenever... It's part. It's obviously part of the information war, and, and the information war for these people uh, is, is a big part of any war. You know, it's like winning the hearts and minds has a real tangible uh, net benefit and effect on, as they see it, the outcome of the war. I mean, they've been explicit about that in the media and stuff, that winning the information war is important, especially for afterwards, how it, how things pan out after the war is over. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And that's with an eye to uh, setting, setting the narrative. Obviously, in this specific context, it's about setting the narrative that Russia is this... The hist- history will show that Russia is a, a, an evil warmongering country. Putin is an evil warmonger, a... a, a a mass murderer, Russian soldiers are butchers who kill civilians just for fun. That is what they're aiming to have as the as the history, that history will record that as having been the case. And that then will be used to dictate how Russia is standing in the world, they think, and how Russia is, you know, how, how well it's How it's able to do yeah. business. So that's what I was wondering. Like, I kind of tongue-in-cheek titled the show False Flagging Its Way to Victory. Yeah. I mean... Is Ukraine isn't going to get a victory by just doing daily false flags, you know? No, no, no it's it's yeah, it's, it's after the fact. Uh, um, it's it's bigger than Ukraine. It's, yeah, it's mass perception that's at yeah. stake here. Well, I mean, you can can also go back to the fact that, like we talked about at the beginning of the show, European populations are being asked to prepare themselves for food shortages, energy shortages, i.e., you know, you know cold showers or short showers or no showers, uh, cooking with gas if you can get any, uh, and cooking if you can get an, enough food to cook with, etc. That all of that, you're being asked to accept that on the basis uh, of it's good for, you're doing the morally right thing, that this is fighting against Russian, <clears throat> the evil Russia. So in order, to, in order to get people to go along with that and accept that, as it progresses, rather than protest about it and demand that the government stop this insanity of planning to cut off, planning planning to force us to 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 freeze ration. and starve and ration, uh, instead of them protesting that and getting them to stop that, they're being encouraged to go along with it because they're being bombarded with information about how uh, Russia is acting in an extremely evil way in in Ukraine and that they need to get behind it and they need to you know put their put their, so their when the thoughts time- and feelings and energy behind uh, stopping Russia and or, in order to do that as we showed in that article from the Guardian you have to accept food shortages energy shortages right so when that time comes people will have motivation it's hoped yeah. as to why they're doing this yeah. take that Putin <clears throat> yeah um it's it's to invigorate. Or even if there's not much of a take that Putin at that time, it'll be it can be spun. Hopefully, they, the powers that be hope, but it probably won't work out, out this way. But they hope that people will won't, will only grumble a little bit and won't turn and on the riot. Tur, turn on the turn on the government yeah. because well, the reason we're in this situation, even though the war in Ukraine is over and it's all done, the reason we're in this situation is because Putin and because you you accepted it because you took the moral high ground, you took the stance of 
stopping evil Russian aggression. It's very similar to COVID, you know. People now have to look back, a lot of people have to look back on the things that they did that were quite inhumane towards their own family members in order to serve a greater good, right, which was protect your family members by treating them very inhumanely. And I'm speaking here of, of like people leaving their parents or their grandparents mm-hmm. in care homes alone and in many cases to die because if they went near them, they would die. Anyway, you know, it starts to get, you, you start to see the, 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 the falseness in the narrative whenever <clears throat> it doesn't make sense anymore when what you're being told to do is achieving the same, uh, the same uh, exactly the same, uh, what you're being told to do to prevent an outcome is actually doing, exa- is, is creating the Generating outcome. Generating that is, outcome. It, you know, yeah. um, and that's, in fact, that's what's happening with Russia, right? People will, f- people will see in six months' time, they'll see that all of the appeals by their government to do this in order to put Russia back in its box and stop it from doing this ever again will have had the opposite effect. That, and, and we see that even today, uh, that the so-called sanctions that they're imposing on Russia are not having, they're having exactly the opposite effect of what they what they're what they're intended to, and I'm I'm pretty sure they know that you know, um, they know that those sanctions. I mean, Biden even said you know it's not to it wasn't to deter Russia. No sanctions <laughs> were to they were to uh, show something. Uh, I'm not sure what they were meant to do, but they certainly they were to the, unite NATO. Unite NATO. That's right. <clears throat> unite NATO and unite European peoples and get them all on board. I.e., get them all on board with this narrative because where it's taking us is a very bad place for European people, so we need to get them on board with it. So, in a certain sense, they're accomplices in their own suffering. Right. They become accomplices in their own suffering. They say, well, you did it. Yeah. I mean, COVID, looking back on COVID again, the people who watched their grandparents die from a distance or didn't go to their family member's funeral and didn't say their last goodbyes. They're reluctant, or they're not. Don't feel fully able to turn around and blame the government because they took part in it. Right, right. That's, they, par- that's they, they facilitated it. That's twisted, but it makes sense. So, um, yeah, I think that the sanctions are part of what well, the, the obvious. Already, we can see where the sanctions are going and the effect that they're having. Having, and it's going to be very bad for European people oh. and people around them. Even well, bad for European people, bad for Americans, but even worse initially for for example, particularly African people and Middle Eastern people. And um, they know that. If we can figure that out and see that that's what's happening, and it's happening very quickly, only a couple of months after, or not even a couple of months after sanctions have been imposed, you see this effect. It's undoubted. You have to assume that they they knew that this was going to happen, Mm -hmm. Um, which means that the intent of the sanctions was not really to do anything against Russia, but to prepare the way for um, suffering on a large scale for European people. So European governments putting policies in place that they know will cause a lot of suffering for their populations. That's just deductive reasoning. There's no other way to, yeah. to, to look at it, you know. Unless these people are completely insane. And they should be in... in what do you mean in, unless? They're insane either way. Look no, at that. That's yeah, so I know. psychopathic. Yeah, yeah. It has a logic well, it's to psychopathic, it. psychopathic, it's, it's different from being logic. insane. You know? Okay. You know? Insane, I mean, unless they're just completely... But they don't appear Insane be. would be that they actually really believe they yeah, would yeah. tank the ruble and yeah, the Russian economy would crash. And they see that it's not happening, but they double down on it. That's insanity. Yeah. yeah. An inability to read reality and respond to it. But they can't. So are they insane? Or was this what they're intending all along? Right. Is this okay? Is this good? It's fine. Don't worry about it. We're prepared for this. We know where this is going. The two <clears> notorious <throat> chemical attacks in Syria, the one in 2013... Right. 
was Guta. Guta, yeah. That was the first one. That was interesting because, well, it was a proven false flag after the fact, but it, um, it, but the first time that the use of the phrase crossing the red line, the Obama White Obama's House. Obama's red line, yeah. And they were weapons hot, and they're going to go in and do a NATO-style, you know, Libya-style um, airdrop on the Syria. But they backed off at the last minute. Um, we suspect because the Russians had given Something Syria there, enough yeah. teeth to uh, mm-hmm. to bear at uh, NATO. The other one was in 2018, the Duma chemical Duma, attack, right. later proven to be a false flag. But even by ICW um, whistleblowers who were then fired, arrested. I'm not sure if anyone was charged, but anyway, that's interesting. Guta and Duma and Nabucha. There's a kind of name. I'm not, su- I'm not suggesting that that was deliberate, but there's a name similarity between them all. Anyway, um, <clears throat> update on Mariupol. Yeah, it seems to drag on because the city's not that big. No, but um, <laughs> what do you do in that situation? It's agreed by most sources that at the beginning, the Ukrainian forces, National Battalion, <clears throat> Azov, etc., numbered around fourteen or 15,000. Latest Russian statement on that is they number about 3,000. Mm-hmm. The Russian MOD also this week said they've been intercepting communications from Mariupol in, quote, European languages. Mm-hmm. There's all, signs of, all kinds of rumors floating about who is there. Um, at this point, as of today, Sunday, 10th of April, five Ukrainian choppers have been shot down in attempting to rescue at least some of those um, remaining Ukrainian fighters who are held, held up in the is – it, is it pronounced Azovstal, the industrial steelworks? Mm-hmm. That's nuts. That sounds like Azov. I know, no, yeah. <laughs> What's the kind of coincidence? Um, it, that's just chopper attempts. There was also a rescue attempt e- – Two days ago, when a cargo ship tried to reach the port, which is part of the steelworks that's still controlled by Azov, mm. holy shit, the Russians said, get back, and then they opened fire. They actually hit the ship. Eventually, the crew surrendered, and it was towed to Russia. Mm-hmm. But it was a dry cargo ship, mostly empty. Don't know what, what the size of what, what it was and so on, but it was definitely heading. It was close to Mariupol port. Mm-hmm. So someone was really trying to get people out of... Mariupol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the, the, when there's the, rumors about that includes some top Western. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they found uh, French parades, uh, mm. at least one French parade uh, in, in Mariupol in, 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 the, in the move to, as they progress towards the, that steel plant and stuff, they found one. Uh, and they also, there were at least, I think there were two French military assets basically on the, one of the. Uh, helicopters that were shot down as they tried to, to leave. So it's hard to know how many people are actually there, how many foreign <coughs> kind of uh, elements are there, um, and whether they're just regular kind of mercenaries who have gone there to, to yeah. fight, or whether there's some kind of a command structure. I, I doubt that they would put anybody of any significant uh, military rank in amongst those people, you know what I mean? It's like um, they're, they're smart enough to get them out uh, before, you know what I mean? The, mm. the Western powers have eyes and ears on that whole situation. They're providing intelligence all the time. They're providing, like, even um, they're providing intelligence on Russian troop movements, satellite data on Russian troop movements, and they're even directing uh, Ukrainian, you know, firing, adjusting Ukrainian fi- firing of, of military to to best target Russian Russian troops. So it's, it's a bizarre situation where the West 
particularly some countries, the US, UK, France, are directly involved, but just at one remove with fighting Russia. I mean, they're, they're directly involved in killing Russian soldiers and destroying Russian military equipment, but they're, they're, with the gun in the hand of a Ukrainian and the arm being directed by NATO, basically, by the US, you know, mm-hmm. and point in this direction, point in that direction, fire, or even the gun that they're using was given to them by... Yeah. The, so it's, it's a weird hybrid war kind of situation, but it's not new, of course. Like, I mean, the US, the US has been engaged in that yeah. for, for quite a long time. Um, yeah, so... Mariupol, um, last reports, like you were saying last week when I was talking about the difference between um, uh, the civilian deaths in, uh, in in Iraq. There were about over 7,000 in the first six weeks of fighting in, in Iraq or bombing by the US in Iraq, Operation Shock and All in 2003. And so far, the estimate from the UN, UN's estimate was about 1,100 civilian deaths in the first six weeks. In, but that you were saying that didn't take into account Mariupol. And now there's, there's been reports from, from Russian sources, basically, that the civilian dead in Mariupol were 5,000. I heard that too, but, from the new mayor, actually, but, of Mariupol. But uh-huh. probably the vast majority of those have to be laid at the, at the doorstep of the Ukrainians, either directly or indirectly. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, so there's still, even if that brings it up closer to a, the, same, the number of people who are civilians who were killed in the first six weeks of the Iraq war, the people who were killed in the first six weeks of the Iraq war were people who were directly in airstrikes killed by Americans. Yeah. Uh, if it's a 6,000 plus number at this point of people, of civilians in, in Ukraine killed, of civilians killed in Ukraine, then, you know, 60, 70% of those you'd have to put at the feet of the Ukrainians because of what we've just descri- been describing uh, about them using civilians, using uh, civilian infrastructure, using hospitals, <clears throat> using schools, uh, and even um, you know, creating situations where they know civilians will die in order to make Russia look bad. That's how dirty this war is. It's and, super dirty. And people, <clears throat> war is always dirty, but people... There's people are. I still see so many people on Twitter and social media who are just completely clueless about the reality of war, and yet they're commenting as if they're kind of like uh, veterans. You know, what's the name of that um, American? I think he's a war vet, but now he's an independent journalist activist. What's the name of that Pat- guy? Patrick Lancaster. Patrick Lancaster. People should follow him on YouTube. Yeah, but he's still up on YouTube. He, he's posting regular um, updates. He's mostly been focused. He's been Donbass. in the Donbass for years. He's in but Mariupol. he's now in Mariupol and has been for on and off for a while. Put up village.mp4. It's just a short that he put up uh, recently. He's going to, I don't know if he released a fuller video. Uh, um, but he, he gives an example of what we're talking about here. Right now, we're in the village of Yelenivka, and as you can see behind me, this home has been completely destroyed by fire. Now, we've talked to the resident here, and she says she's lost everything to shells that came and were fired from Ukrainian-controlled territory. This is what the residents here say, and she says there's no uh, uh, military uh, near here. This is just a peaceful area, and we can see... She now has nothing left. So that was, yeah. That That's was good. It. I've also seen stuff from him where he interviews people um, when they come to collection points to get food uh, and whatever other aid can be brought to them somewhere in Mariupol, somewhere in the city center, I think. And he just, you know, asks them how's it going, what's the story. And one I saw this week from one of his latest updates, I mean, 
there's no priming from him whatsoever. This isn't him saying on camera, this is what I was told. The people who live there are saying, those Azov guys were just shooting at us. They weren't even engaging Russian troops. Mm. They were shooting any civilian they saw, sniping at people. You know, yeah. As they retreated, just keep hitting civilians. Yeah, he's... Uh He's in um, Patrick Lancaster's name on YouTube. Uh, you can follow him. He's pretty, pretty good in terms of on the ground reporting. You know, um, in terms of strategy as well. At Mariupol, I saw a video this week. It's very short, just nine seconds. It claims to have been uploaded. It probably was. It's a video taken on the day of the beginning of Russian military intervention in Ukraine. So it's February twenty fourth, and it's someone going down. Mariupol in the car and they're filming the entrance to the steelworks. You see it. It's clearly marked Avostyle, Azovstal steelworks. It's got a huge entrance. A bit like an airport terminal. Yeah. Yeah, massive. And there's two Ukrainian tanks just driving in. Ukrainian? Yeah. yeah. Day one. They knew where it's going. Yeah. Last stand here. Mm-hmm. Make sure we have this set up mm-hmm. for the subsequent coming weeks. Mm-hmm. The whole thing's sick. Uh, but we knew this before. We know, we know the Americans have explicitly trained them and the British, and the French, in urban combat, that it was always going to come down to this. Mm-hmm. This um, article I mentioned earlier by Jacques Beau, the, the NATO Swiss, uh, ex-NATO spook, um, he lays it out as well in, in, in more detail. You know, they were explicitly trained, the 100-plus thousand National Guards, now not the Ukrainian military, the National Guards that were set up, the Azov militias that were incorporated into this national battalions. Mm-hmm. They were explicitly trained in preparation to take the cities of <clears throat> Odessa, Kherson, Nikolaev, um, Mariupol, Kharkov. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I don't know how. I don't know how anyone in Ukraine can like aware that that's the strategy they go. That that is their war strategy they're going into. Mm-hmm. Our last stand will be here, 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 and here. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's do it. Imagine how fanatical you'd have to be to know. Know that it's that that's what the, the war plan is. And this isn't, this isn't, I mean, what he was saying, Scott Ritter has said, others have said it too, they're saying it because it's open source. There's no intelligence secret that was leaked. They were explicitly trained to fight in this way, in this strategy, the way it's unfolding. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And told that, 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 that they'll win. They probably, a lot of them still believe that they're going to win. Yeah. Sad. Um, Imran Khan, Prime Minister of Pakistan, Got in trouble recently. He's lost his no-confidence vote. Um, last week we mentioned it because he had managed to, I think it was ruled to illegal. It. The court initially said, no, no, there's no, there's no basis for holding a no-confidence vote mm-hmm. in Pakistan's parliament. It was overturned on Thursday by the Supreme Court in Pakistan. So they held the vote yesterday and Khan is out. By two votes, Imran Khan is no longer the prime minister of Pakistan. Mm-hmm. Now, Pakistan, in its 75-year history, has not once had a serving prime minister see out his first term. They've either been shot dead mm-hmm. or they've been voted out. Mm-hmm. Now, there are several who've come back for a stint you know, multiple times, including the guy they're going to shoehorn in now, actually. Sharif. Sharif, I yeah. wonder if he's, if he's related to the other Sharif who was like Prime Minister several years um, before Khan. Mm-hmm. Khan said from the beginning, weeks ago, this is, this is a hit job. 
and he laid the blame squarely at the United States mm -hmm. in a televised address to the nation. The people of Pakistan know it. He knew it. He said it. They did it anyway. Mm -hmm. That is dangerous. Yeah. What he, what he said, exactly. He, he gave a couple of speeches. One of them, uh, if you just put up the VLQ28 Twitter uh, account and just open the open the image, the first image, um, he starts off in, there's a video, you, it, there's no subtitles on it yet, but this is what he said, if you just click on the image there. Um, so he starts by saying, please understand that a cipher, a cipher is, a cipher is the situation where our embassies abroad send our foreign office furtive messages as to what is happening in their neck of the woods. You may have heard about WikiLeaks some years back. Uh, and he says it was the U.S. Embassy sending such messages from various places which WikiLeaks intercepted. The cipher message which arrives is top secret. Why can't I disclose this message to the public, to the media, is because those documents have confidential identifying numbers on top of such documents. And I do not wish the outside world to know what Pakistan's unique code is and thus reveal Pakistan's secrets to the world. In the next image, wow. therefore I can't give this to the public, notwithstanding... In my heart, I wish the public could see it. Let me tell you what happened. So our U.S. ambassador met a U.S. official, and I tell you a little bit about what the U.S. official said. doesn't want to say his name, but first he said that uh, Imran Khan, he said, me, basically, I shouldn't have gone to Russia. Our ambassador tried to explain that it was prearranged and had been planned for a while, and the U.S. official suggested it was an arbitrary decision made by Imran Khan alone. So they're imputing, is the U.S. imputing to Imran Khan some kind of a personal affiliation or allegiance with uh, yeah. Russia and Putin. Then he said, I want all people to listen carefully as to what he said. This is what the U.S. ambassador said. He said, unless you... Oh, no, this, this is what the, the U.S. official said. He said, unless uh, you say to Imran Khan... Uh, uh, at that time, the legal petition for Russian Parliament, blah, blah, blah. he said, saying that these blah, 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 eh, eh, eh. he said basically that if if Ram Khan survives the no confidence vote, uh, then Pakistan will face difficulty, i.e., consequences of such an outcome. And he says, look and listen at the, at such an outcome, at the audacity. So that if I, Imran Khan, a sitting president, isn't removed, then Pakistan will have to suffer the consequences. Then he says that if Imran Khan loses the vote of no confidence, then Pakistan will be forgiven. So he never said he would look and consider the actions of any successor, then, con then consider forgiving Pakistan. No, he said, whomever comes into office, we will forgive Pakistan, as if he knew who the next incumbent would be, i.e. literally who has already had the PM's costume sewn to wear an office. That's the guy you just mentioned, Neil, uh, Shabazz Sharif. <coughs> um, Anyway, behind all this, as has been the case in Pakistan for a very long time, is the military. The military holds sway in Pakistan, and if the military doesn't like you, then you have to leave. And they can do it through, they do it a bit more subtly these days, rather than just have a military coup. They uh, put pressure on to have a vote of no confidence or other, some other mechanism to remove you, put in a new prime minister. But the bottom line is that the military command in Pakistan is the ruler, ruler of Pakistan, has been for a long time. And that's been by design, effectively, because uh, the U.S., and Pakistan have a very long history, going way back to, um, well, I don't know how far we want to go back. Obviously, the British the British were before that when they actually created Pakistan, Pakistan um, out of India, <clears throat> out of the British Empire. But um, really, in, in the last, let's say you go back to the most relevant place you go back to would be uh, the Soviet-Afghan War, when Pakistan was used to train uh, as a staging 
ground for training of Afghani Taliban Mujahideen at the time who became Al-Qaeda um, to fight the Russians in Afghanistan. So we're talking here in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, the US has been directly involved and kind of more or less cemented a, a relationship with Pakistan that was you know, effectively made Pakistan and the Pakistani military a kind of client in a certain sense of, of, of Russia. There's all sorts of corrupt stuff going on there as well in terms of drug smuggling. The Pakistani military has its, its up to its neck and some politicians up to, up to their necks have been for a long time again in uh, drug smuggling, uh, drug production, drug smuggling in Pakistan, in Afghanistan. Uh, and also a big thing is, like I just mentioned, training of uh, jihadi militant types to, at the time, Soviet-Afghan war was a big thing. Um, uh, um, there's also a 9-11 connection where, as people might remember, it's public record that uh, Pakistani general at the time, Hamid, Hamid Gul, uh, wired $100,000 to Muhammad Ada in Florida a couple of months prior, or I think a month or two prior to the 9-11 attacks. There's a whole... There's a whole history, a whole uh, story behind that of Pakistani, Pakistani involvement in, yeah, in 9-11. Now, of course, we can't get into 9-11 here or anything like that, but I remember those guys were training on Cessnas down in Florida. Um, actually, in 2012, what was his name? Began with a D. Anyway, the owner of that uh, flight training school um, in Florida, in 2012, he was busted for drug smuggling. Mm. Uh, but anyway, he was. They were using his school to train Muhammad Adam and a few other of the of the supposed nine eleven attackers in Cessnas. Now, what are Cessnas for? What are those light aircraft for? They're not for flying. Obviously, you don't you don't train on those to learn then to to jump into a seven five seven and fly it into a building. It's more for uh, covert operations that the CAA is Bill quite Clinton familiar knows. with that kind of stuff. He was yeah. governor of Arkansas. Right, exactly. So moving drugs around the place, flying small, lighter aircraft, um, but also training people like the 9-11 hijackers who weren't actually the 9-11 hijackers, but like I said, we can't get into 9-11. These were people who were in the pay of Pakistani intelligence of different nationalities, some of them Saudis, some of them Pakistani, some of them from other countries, but all of them basically in the pay of Pakistani intelligence slash the CIA who were in America for training on various different things. Uh, they were just assets, and of course, America has trained all sorts of people over its uh, modern history and to do all sorts of different things in different countries. Uh, the, the country is basically a, a one-stop shop for training any uh, paramilitary and illegal type uh, uh, individuals, or uh, training paramilitary individuals for illegal type activities for a very long time. So that's really what uh, was going on there, and Pakistan <coughs> was front and center, and, and that's why. 100,000 was wired to Muhammad Atta because it was like, listen, you've got to pay for these guys to, to stay there and to undergo the training in the U.S. for America's purposes to ship them back to Pakistan slash Afghanistan slash that region for various different uh, purposes. Yeah. Um, anyway, that just, that's just an example of and just a slight scratching of the surface to, to show you just how... Uh, bound together the Pakistani ISI, which is the intelligence services and the military are, and when a sitting Prime Minister of Pakistan shows any disloyalty to that um, 
relationship, that long-standing relationship, then he has to go. And that's what happened to Imran Khan, because in this specific context, Khan was a realist and realized that Pakistan had a lot to gain from continuing to be friends with Russia. But that's not allowed, so out you go. Same old Cold War, just minus the ideology. Pretty much. It's exactly the same. It's the same great game. You know, and it's here it's just naked. It's well, almost naked. I mean, the U.S. when asked, oh, no, no, this is entirely an internal affair. Well, yeah. I, no, Khan just said. It wasn't. You yeah. leaned on us and told us to be consequences. And it scared, scared just enough, in, scared in quotes, scared well, just enough compromised, corrupted people. The thing I didn't say, say about all of that is that long relationship with the U.S. in terms of dirty dealings and all sorts of corrupt and illegal activities between uh, the, the U.S., the CIA, and Pakistani intelligence and the military means that there's an awful lot of dirt that the U.S. Yeah. has on the entire military command. Uh, just throw yeah. up the... Uh, Majin Nawaz actually put it up. Um, he is a, a, a Twitter dude. Uh, this is the uh, army chief talking recently about Russia. Sadly, the Russian invasion against... Uh, Ukraine is very unfortunate as thousands of people have been killed, millions made refugees and half of Ukraine destroyed. This is a huge tragedy which must be stopped immediately. Furthermore, despite legitimate, con legitimate security concerns of Russia, its aggression against a smaller country cannot be condoned. Pakistan has consistently called for an immediate ceasefire and cessation of hostilities. We support immediate dialogue between all sides to find a last... Uh, he's reading that off CIA letterhead, oh, by 100%. the way. That's completely at odds with Khan's statements yep. position, formal government position. Right. And it's at odds with India's. Khan yep. twice praised India's fairly neutral position in these yep. last uh, two months towards Russia and Ukraine. Yep. Yeah, Khan, I mean, he's been public enemy number one since day one. As soon as he was running The Economist in london had a headline something i uh, forget it now like something like oh boy here comes pakistan's trump mm -hmm. they, they smell a populist they spell a national leader who will go independent who will break out of our dirty little arrangements you know and khan is one of them even though khan actually his background is very much british pakistani mm -hmm. he was he's married to a british educated in oxford yeah he's he's from that background but he's very much uh on the on the human side and the less mercantile side of yep. of politics, absolutely, um, <clears throat> it's hard to see. Can recently uh, he's he has some great stuff. It's a shame we don't because he obviously speaks fluent English. Not enough of what he said is heard in the West. You know, he ranted against the European Union when they were haranguing him to, uh, to you know condone Russia. Rah, rah, rah. This general obviously, you know read off the CIA notes with no difficulty, but can say something like in response to EU envoys urging him to, you know, join the fight against Russia. He said, are we your slaves? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, You're telling too much truth there, <clears throat> so... Okay, uh, the, there's geopolitical context here. I'm going to cite Time magazine. Can you pull that up, Scotty? <clears throat> um, do a search for the figure 25 billion. Okay. So, this is about US-Pakistani relations in the context of what's happening in Eurasia. 
Biden appeared to offer an olive branch last year when he invited Khan to join his democracy summit in December, but the Pakistan leader snubbed the request in a move welcomed by China, which has funded projects in the nation valued at more than $25 billion. Khan has since boosted ties with Russia, holding the first top-level meeting in more than two decades. I didn't know that. The first top-level meeting between the leader of Pakistan and Russia that was Khan's notorious one where he visited Putin on the day of the Russian... That was a red flag, yeah. Big red flag. Um, first top-level meeting between the two leaders of Russia and Pakistan, um, just hours after the Russian leader invaded Ukraine. Shebaz Sharif, who leads the main opposition party and is poised to take power if Khan is ousted, that has since happened, has vowed to improve ties with the US and European Union if he wins. And then blah, blah. He said that the army has been staying neutral. Yeah, no, they haven't. <clears throat> but I think, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, it's kind of one to watch. I don't foresee like a situation like um, Ukraine happening there. But I think I agree, tend to agree with um, Andrew Kuribko. <laughs> the Russian-American analyst, he writes a lot on what's going on in Pakistan mm -hmm. and its major um, trade and investment deals with China. This is the site. Pakistan is the site of the Chinese-Pakistan Economic Corridor, which uh, is already being built. We're talking major gas, rail, shipping links that would connect China over land to the Indian Ocean. Mm -hmm. We've got... Um, a major port that's being built there. Um, can you pull up this this latest? It's not the latest. It's actually, I think it's from two weeks ago. This this predates um, Cannes Ooster. This analysis from Kripkos. Scroll down to um, regime change campaign. <clears throat> Okay, sorry, it's at the top here. The success of the United States regime change campaign in Pakistan could turn that country from the zipper of Eurasia in the sense that it would open up Eurasia for Russian and Chinese integration into the fault line of Eurasia by tearing apart the same game-changing multipolar processes that it's participating in. Mm -hmm. He later concludes, Pakistan could be exploited by the declining unipolar hegemon, namely the US, to deal a heavy blow to multipolar connectivity processes in the geostrategically located Eurasian heartland. So it's not quite synonymous, but Pakistan is, is a kind of a Ukraine of Eurasia. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just on purely geographical terms. Mm -hmm. um, we'll see. They probably think, meh. It's just business. We've sewn it up. New Prime Minister, no fuss. But um, there were some huge rallies can't held in the weeks, weeks running up to this. Uh, people know what's going on there. They know this is a coup. And they know where the source of it is. Mm -hmm. So, In any event, it's all wishful thinking on the Empire's part because those deals, they're not going to be ripped up. They're already being built, those economic corridors. Right, Ports, but the whole, highways are half built. Yeah, but the whole new cities. Yeah, but you know, America's doing its best to, 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 
to thwart it. I mean that, and it goes back like we've talked about in previous shows. Goes back to uh, goes back twenty years. Go back to the uh, the invasion of uh, Afghanistan, the invasion of Iraq, and they had an eye on Russia way back then. You know, just throw up that map there, just so, so as a as a as a, a sh- scroll down a little bit. Yeah, um, it's probably it's not that, Can you zoom in? Yeah. It's not a very good map, actually, but uh, anyway. Um, you see Afghanistan there, uh, Pakistan right beside it. I mean, if China wants westward expansion, railways, transport, roads, all that kind of stuff to develop countries uh, to the west of it, um, then those countries need to be people who want to stop that from happening. Chinese, one belt, one road, kind of Eurasian integration, westwards. People who want to stop that from happening need to make sure that they hold on to Primarily uh, Pakistan and Afghanistan. Afghanistan primarily, but and that's why they were in Afghanistan for so long, and why you have to make sure Iran uh, is kept down, um, and why you have to keep Russia back within its borders type thing. And and, and I don't mean stop Russia expanding. I mean stop Russia. Ex- ex- I don't mean stop Russia expanding militarily, but politically and economically. And that's what a lot of all of this is about and has been about for a very long time. While you're being sold some emotionally charged narrative about, uh, you know, Putin killed my baby or some other bullshit, that's the, the real politic going on behind it. And, you know, you can continue to watch the sideshow of Putin killed my baby and I'm doing it for the fields as long as you want. Or you can continue to, you know, believe that China is, is killing Uyghurs or whatever if you want. Uh, but you're missing what's actually happening behind the scenes if you continue to go with that bullshit narrative. Um, and you won't understand the world around you or the world you live in and why, and you won't understand why things are happening the way they're happening. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, and talking about bullshit narratives, check out that last Twitter link, Scotty. Um, the one you haven't used yet. This is the... Uh, it's. Yeah, uh, this is the the leader of the opposition. He's the leader of the Labour Party in Australia. Um, could be Prime Minister of Australia in the next election, which is coming up, I think, this year. But just have a listen there. We have serious challenges to solve, and we need serious people to solve them. We have serious problems to solve, and we need serious people to solve them. Unfortunately, Tony Abbott is not the least bit interested in fixing any. Bob Robson is not the least bit interested in solving it. He's only <laughs> no interested way. in two things. He is interested in two things. Making Australians afraid of it, making you afraid of it, and telling them who's to blame for it. And telling you who's to blame for it. <laughs> Jesus. Well, you, can put, you know, people could jump to all sorts of like, oh my God, kind of like mind blown responses but the, to, to that but the obvious answer to why there's that obvious consistency between a TV show and the statements of uh, uh, the, this, the kind of the, the leader of the Labour Party in Australia is that his speechwriters watch those yeah. kind of White House type uh, drama shows and stuff and that's where they get their information from speeches from it's just, I mean, there's there's a, there's a blending of the two, like uh, yeah. reality, TV and reality is, is 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 blended, you know, and you don't know which is which, you know, uh, and they get who's really an actor and who's really president. Well, yeah, I mean, Zelensky. Well, yeah, political kind of. political speechwriters and screenwriters. Yeah, 
in Zelensky's case, he's obviously famous for being an actor playing the role right. of becoming president. Right. But people don't know that the entire team that produced his TV show, Servant of the People, mm-hmm. was just lifted and uh, put in the cabinet. Right. <laughs> they were actually the scriptwriters, and now they're actually in government. It's yeah. one and the same entity, you know? Yeah. Uh, NATO has decided that they are going to... I mean, they have 40,000 troops on their on their eastern border, supposedly. NATO, whatever NATO is. Uh, this week, actually, um, the Polish Prime Minister accused Macron, because he, Macron talks to Putin, he, he likened that to appeasement of Hitler. Uh, but no, did he likened it to appeasement of Hitler? I'm not sure exactly what he, but the implication, I think he, I think he did. Was it the appeasement of Hitler? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So he accused Macron of appeasing Hitler, basically, right? Yeah. And Macron responded to him by saying, in, in a newspaper article, that saying, calling him a, an extremist anti-Semite. Yeah. Now that's an example of NATO unity right there. Right. Or the reality of NATO unity behind the scenes, yeah. behind, behind the blurb <laughs> and behind the, uh, the propaganda. But they have 40,000 troops, supposedly that, Douchebag uh, St- uh, Stoltenberg, uh, the pencil neck Stoltenberg, the the CEO of NATO, <laughs> um, the chief of NATO, uh, he has said that they're going to add more. He didn't say how many, but enough to stop on the eastern border. They're going to add more troops and more um, equipment in order to be sufficient to prevent a Russian invasion. That they could, they could of NATO. Of NATO, wherever NATO is, NATO there, should put up a, there should be a pic, a map of, of Europe, and the NATO countries should all just be called NATO. You oh, should blur the, borders the borders and just say NATO because you keep talking about NATO as if it's one country or something, and NATO is going to do this and NATO is going to do that. Well, NATO is going to do nothing. It's individual countries still. I mean, they want to create the idea of this. We're all in this together. But, but he said so. They're going to put a lot more troops eastwards. Whether they do or not, don't know. But they have forty thousand there. And yeah, I think he said specifically the Baltics, so Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, the, the countries that, that directly have, well, Lithuania doesn't have a border with, it has a border with Belarus, but not with uh, Russia. But Estonia and Latvia have a border with Russia. But I suppose Lithuania having a border with Belarus is just as bad as having a border with Russia. Anyway. I think Lithuania has a border with uh, Kaliningrad. Uh, correct, yeah. So it's those three countries that they're concerned about that I think they think will be, might be invaded by Russia. Uh, obviously, that's very unlikely to happen, but they're going to do that anyway. I think they'll um, be Russian before, before we uh, see out this world. Maybe. In our lifetimes. Maybe. Simply because there's such a huge number of ethnic Russians there. Mm-hmm. And the way, things, the, way the West is self-destructing, NATO stand, yeah. they'll be begging to be part of the Russian Federation again. Yeah. But that's, that's purely speculation. Mm. Um, but yeah, an invasion, like, no. <laughs> but if they do something stupid like start to house serious um, American and British military equipment on their territory, they could easily provoke Russia into doing... That's, that's where I think... Uh, initially, I thought that... I mean, I'm, I have a suspicion that this conflict will spill over into NATO, that NATO will get some... Um, at some point in the not-too-distant future, sometime this year. Uh, I don't know what, to what extent it will, but that it probably will spill over in one way or another. Of course, it'll be, there'll be hysterics in the, in the media, in the Western media about it, and it'll blow it up more than it actually is. But um, 
I think it'll happen. And initially, I thought it was going to be most likely Poland, but I'm wondering if it won't be either Estonia, Latvia, or Lithuania. There'll be some kind of a the, yeah, some kind of an incursion uh, across. About half of two of those countries are are Russian speakers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, kind of tying back to what just took place in Pakistan. Um, there was a vote at the Human Rights General Assembly this week to boot, suspend Russia from the Human Rights Council. Mm. Yeah. Over allegations of committing horrific human rights violations in Ukraine, Serbia was one of the countries that voted. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a bad look for the Serbian leader who's just been re-elected. And not popular with his people. No. They were very pro-Russian. They were pro-Russia. He's saying, if you scroll down... <clears throat> Serbia was among the 92 countries which voted in favor of the resolution to suspend Russian membership of the Human Rights Council. But he's now stated that Serbia voted under, quote, the threat of facing sanctions and increasing pressures. I believe him. Mm -hmm. I believe him. I mean, just look at what took place in Pakistan. Mm -hmm. I mean, people, for so long now they've been going on about Russian intervention, Russian interference in our elections. Like, it is daily business in the other direction. <laughs> no, yeah. Like, daily business. Th- there are so many things to interfere in on every day, they, ca- they don't even all make the news. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's par for the course, right? Unless, it's not, like, it's not Vucic news. or uh, Khan just go and actually announce to tell the world, um, we were forced to. Mm-hmm. Well, it's all right when you're forced to do the right thing, Neil. Democracy baby, huh? Western democracy. Uh, talking about propaganda, Ukraine really doesn't know when to stop, you know, and I think that'll be part of their own doing. They've already, uh, you know, red-pilled, if you want to call it that, a lot of people in terms of how they have overdone the propaganda, like using, you know, in certain situations, even in Bukha for people who can who can see and in Kramatorsk and how they, uh, they put up a, a video game uh, oh, footage of video games video and game. stuff oh. that really undermines Arrestovich using that photo that um, from a still of Patrick Lancaster's video of the right. woman he found with the swastika burned on her stomach. Right, and saying that a week later, Arrestovich tweets it. Look what these Russians did I to know. our people in wherever. So they're undermining people's trust in them as a reliable source of information, uh, which is um, a good thing. Uh, but they don't seem to to, to realize how they're shooting themselves in the foot in that respect. Just put up Ukraine.mp4. This is the latest uh, missive, and I don't know who thought this was a good idea, but you can have a watch. Ці свині століттями називали нас малоросами. Топтали наш прапор, насміхалися з нашої мови і творили кумедний образ українця з оселецем, салом і галушками. Під п'яне гикання і звуки російської гармонії вони нас вбивали, Морили голодом, розпинали по червоних катівнях і відправляли у вічну мерзлоту сибірських таборів. Вбивали доти, доки у миролюбній хліборобській нації не прокинулося щось страшне. Щось, що віками дрімало у надрах дніпровських круч. Первісний і прадавній український бог. Мало? Ми збираємо 
свої криваві жнива. Тепер на вас усіх чекає смерть. Забучу. Ірпінь. Київ. Харків. Одесу. Маріуполь. Ви будете вбиті всі. Ваші трупи, як найгірше падло, лежатимуть в полях, лісосмугах і вздовж доріг. Їх роздиратимуть собаки і дикі тварини, а ваші матері чекатимуть вас твірі, пскові, рязані. Але ви, сучі виродки, не повернетесь додому. Ніколи. Добро пожаловать в ад. Yep. Hence denazification campaign. <laughs> Thanks. That's useful. Yeah, it, it might appeal to some people, but other people are just going to go, dude, you people have a problem, you know what I mean? If you think that's good for putting out there as a, you know, widely publicized and, and, and it represents, uh, it's going to get people to... That thing shared on Western social media. Is that where you found it? Uh It's on Ukraine. It's 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 a message primarily to Ukrainians right. spread around Ukraine, but it's obviously once it gets there, then it's the Twitterati love it, you know, especially the ones that are all the 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 pro, num the numbskulls pro pro Azov battalion the for the duration yeah. of this compound. Who are just doing it? The ones who are just doing it for the fields, you know, who can't can't see beyond how they feel inside and and everything that uh, everything outside of them must reflect how they feel inside. If their fields are feel in a certain direction then that's that's what's true that's, that's how it should go you know something has definitely awoken in ukraine and uh it's evil it's always been there or it has been there for a while it's in yeah but it's something like, has, be, has been awoken yeah by 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 the u.s it's always been there but as, as i it has been weaponized by the u.s yeah and spread um and, and deepened i don't know i don't uh, There's so many, uh, we're not going to sh show any today, I hope, but um, mm -mm. there are lots of horrific videos. We showed one that yep. did get some traction in the West. That was Russian POWs, but there's torture videos of civilians and stuff. Um, other Russian POWs, it's, they're inhuman. I, what's most interesting was, for me was a couple of days ago, <clears throat> um, the Russians, when they arrest was um when they capture POWs. What they've been doing now here and there is showing them videos that are now circulating yeah. of the torture of Russians. Yeah, and see what they think. And I saw one where the guy like he's like, I, I cannot watch, watch this. This that is not human. Mm -hmm. Correct. It is not human. So he he got a, an awakening. Yeah. The thing about it is that most Ukrainian military personnel are just average, you know, Mind, you know, manipulated. Did it for uh, the money? Well, or did it for to, money, or, or, or did it, or did it for patriotic feelings? You know, especially sure. people, Ukrainians from the West or whatever, and they were sold a line, a line from the government about you know fighting for your country and all that kind of stuff. And they did it, and they're not bad people in that respect. But there is the problem is that there's a very clear distinction between those kinds of members of the Ukrainian military and the the the, the militants, let's say the the Azov and the. Um, either battalion or other kind of right-wing neo-Nazi type battalions that are in control of the situation. They're the ones who, f who faced down um, uh, Zelensky in, 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 in 2000 and just after he became president, actually, uh -huh. in 2017. 19. 19, sorry. Um, well, they, he went down to try and get them to kind of like 
to retreat from Donbass, and they went, no, and they kind of stood up to him, and he tried to kind of shirt front them, as the Aussies say, and say, I am the president of Ukraine, you think I'm a fool or whatever, but they didn't back down. They said, listen, you don't control the situation, and if you, you know, if you don't, we do what we want, and if you try to coerce us, there'll be problems for you. We're in control, you know, and those people are the ones who are in control of, they're, they're spread throughout the Ukrainian military, the, the, the average Ukrainian military uh, membership, and they call the shots. You know, they direct the course of it like that. One of them we said about Maidan, basically, that if, if it wasn't for the right sector and the right wing neo-Nazi types in Maidan, that uh, the US-backed coup, uh, that the whole thing would have turned into a gay parade. Yeah. Nothing would have been achieved. There would have been no ousting of Yunukovic or, or anything. That, that The killings and the death of 100 people who were shot by snipers unknown and the, the attacks and the killing of policemen in, in Kiev during that Maidan uh, coup uh, was... Was, all of that was orchestrated by those right-wing neo-Nazi elements who had a very definite plan, and they were fully supported by people like John McCain, Victoria Newland, and the American government. And the plan, what's happening right now, was birth then, basically. Yeah. And there was a trajectory from then until now, uh, leading up to this, this situation where Russia said, okay, enough is enough. So it's got a while to go, this conflict, just so everybody knows. It's it's going to continue on into the summer uh, to, uh, to one extent or another. How it's going to end, well, we've already said it's going to end with uh, effective annexation of a significant part of Ukraine, maybe not officially to Russia, but uh, for all intents and purposes uh, to Russia uh, in terms of being compliant and, and being a part of Russia, if, if, if not in name. And the rest of um, the rest of Ukraine will be left to uh, left to the EU if they want it. But you can bet your ass that at that moment, at that time, all of the outpouring of feelings and love and support for Ukraine from the EU will drop like a hot potato, mm-hmm. and they'll walk away and say, "See you later, bye bye." And then only then will it, will the Ukrainian people who have been laboring under that illusion will will realize that it was an illusion that these people are they're not they're not serious people at all in the in in european parliament and in the european government and in european or in the u.s government they're being exploited yeah unfortunately it takes long people a long time to figure that out they need really hard painful proof of that and uh, okay so be it there's no other way around it you know Anyway, today's election day in France. Is little macaroni going to win? Who knows? Do we care? Well, we won't find out today because it's the first one when all the the usual suspects all throw their hat in the ring, seven or eight of them, whatever, and the vote is split up. Or I think more. it's fifteen, but whatever. Yeah. They all throw their hat in the ring, and uh, and the vote gets divvied up between them all, and then the top two uh, are selected with the most votes, and they go head to head and. Crunch match next tet Sunday. Tet a tet, as they say. Tet a tet, exactly. Uh, in a crunch match next Sunday to see who's going to be the winner. And most likely, it's unless there's a big uh, upset, it's going to be Macron and Le Pen next Sunday going head-to-head. And um, who knows? We'll have to ask that question next Sunday uh, based on the fields between now and then. What the market thinks. We'll find out what the market thinks between today and next Sunday the market will... The market will be deciding because the sure shit won't be the people. No. Uh, and all the politicians, what the words coming out from um, people... Or move, Washington. Mo- movers and shakers, yeah. Uh, who Who's Victoria Newland going to call between now and next Sunday? Right. That's, yeah. Who's she going to give a freedom cookie to? 
Um, no, Victorian doesn't care about the EU, remember? Oh, yeah. Fuck the EU. Fuck the EU. Yeah, so we'll find out next Sunday, but uh, this Sunday, today, the vote today isn't really that significant, unless, as long as it follows the predicted uh, outcome, which is Macron and Le- Macron first, Le Pen second. Macron with 30%, Le Pen with 25, 21, Macron with 28, her with 21, something like that. Uh, and then the two of the, and the rest behind. But uh, we'll find out next next Sunday. And will that be significant? I don't know. Will it have any bearing on things? Who knows? It it, it depends if Le Pen, like many, you know, presidential or prime ministerial hopefuls, give say lots of nice things, lots of positive things, anti-current government things, mm-hmm. uh, differing <coughs> policies, all that kind of stuff, in order to get elected. And then when they're elected, if she's elected, does she drop them all? Uh, because... She's saying good things that would make you want to see her as Prime Minister of France or President of France before, rather than Macron. Although Macron's not that bad, you know, um, as far as it goes. But Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> relatively, Neil. Come on. Look what we're dealing with here. You know what I mean? Look I what know. we're dealing in terms of the True. options, you know what I mean? And, or in terms of what's going on around Europe and, and the US, you know? It could be worse. It could always be worse. I, I can't get over, though, like, that but if just campaign manifesto, and they all had different, you know, we, we saw them brochures sent out everywhere. And Macron's first item was, I'm going to impose a carbon tax, and it'll be pan-European. Yeah, that's what he said. That's what I, that was wants. the thing that sparked the Yellow Vest Rebellion. He, he said, it was worse than that. He said that he was going to do what French people wanted him to do, which was impose a carbon tax. And, like, you to could safeguard their children's future. Well, you could see that. Like, the, the, vast, like, the, the whole of the French nation turned around and went, what? Uh, excuse me? We want what? Carbon tax? No, you must be thinking of some other French population because that's no, n- n- no, no thanks. Um, but anyway, if uh, Le Pen, yeah, she says... Out of NATO, France out of NATO, uh, European Union restructured to be, which it really is, uh, make, it, make, make it official what it is, a bunch of independent states who just cooperate with, with each other, mm. no kind of European Union. And I guess She's not going to upend that whole thing, obviously, but that's her policies. Those are the two main things, basically. And also, she's more favorable to, uh, towards Russia. So we shall see. Uh, although it's hard for any European leader of any European country to be favourable to Russia in the current climate so we'll right. see how she gets on if she wins see how she gets on with that but like I said we'll find that out next Sunday not during this show but we'll be able to give you a better reading on the situation next Sunday because that'll be the day the voting's happening uh, for now just uh, wait and see uh, and the same goes for the rest of it wait and see pay attention um, don't uh, don't strain at gnats and swallow Camels. Camels. Uh, just stay cool, watch things as they progress, and keep watching us because uh, we're keeping you right, keeping you keeping you on the straight and narrow. And, uh, yeah, we'll continue to do that with another show, like I said, next week. So for today, I think we're done. Thanks for watching, listening, and commenting. Don't forget to smash all the like buttons or do whatever you want to them, but push them in some way. And, um, yeah, we'll be back next week on our show, like I said. So until then, have a good day and stay cool. Keep our country. Thanks for watching. See you next week. Can't stop the signal now.